It's so good to be with you all. And uh, like Pastor Chris said, I, uh, I've been here before, but being back now is just so special. And uh, I think of uh, just already the baptisms and the ways our hearts are already been filled with the things that Jesus wants to do. But this morning, I want to take us to a passage in Scripture that helps us think about people who are losing hope. And if you have a Bible or a device, you want to turn to Luke chapter 24. And, and before I look at the passage, I just want you to turn to the person next to you and say, read all of Luke 24. Turn to the person next to you. Read all of Luke 24, okay? It's important if you're watching online, listening to a podcast. This is such a beautiful passage, but because of time, I'm just going to look at the second half of Luke 24 uh, with you together. Uh, I want to say a special thank you uh, to many of you who've either prayed, you've come to visit, you've sent teams, you've been giving, uh, just to help us in the context of a church in a very complicated part of the world that we often use the word secular to describe that things are changing at a rate that we never anticipated. And I often use this phrase, and if you've heard me share on the link or uh, preach before, I often say this, that Quebec is the place where all of your evangelistic ideas come to die. Okay, it's the place where all the things that you think will work and sometimes the things that work somewhere else, they, they enter the space of people who've been hurt by church or disillusioned with church, who many of them don't even care to learn about the church. And many of the, the things that we've done in the past, although they've been great, are not connecting with people in the same way. We're going to learn that also with university students. That we're going to need the help of students and families and leaders and faculty members to think differently about how we share about Jesus, who never changes in a world that always changes. And years ago, we went back to Montreal to plant the 180 church. And I just have a few pictures. This is the picture kind of early on when we started meeting. We were meeting in a warehouse. You'll see it. We would have been maybe... I would say 30, 40, at max 50 people. And, and it's a warehouse space that we couldn't really afford right away to pay rent. Many of the people who came to church always kept their jackets on. So if you're a pastor, that's always a bad sign. It's always a feeling that you can't wait to leave. And so, you know, there was a sense that it was cold, it was a warehouse, and we kept praying and being faithful and trying to be obedient to what God was calling us to. And I'm so excited to tell you that because of just a great team of leaders and a lot of work and many of your teams, that our church has been growing and now we're almost 250 people who gather to worship. You'll see a picture of that. And we've also, this fall have gone to two gatherings. So two worship gatherings. I know that doesn't sound big for Woodside, but it's like mega church level in Quebec. So it's, it's like huge. Uh, people often say to us, even when our church was at what, with one service, would say, this is like the biggest church I've ever been to in my life. I'm like, shh, shh don't worry, it gets complicated. Uh, but we're really seeing Jesus do some new things. And I want to just show you in the scriptures how there were people who walked with Jesus who were feeling hopeless and they needed Jesus to do a new thing in their life. And maybe you're here this morning and this is for you. We're going to look at Luke chapter 24, verse 23, uh, sorry, verse 13. And this is kind of the beginning of the second section of Luke. If you have your notes, you'll, you'll know it as the passage to the road to Emmaus. And this is what we're told, that that very day, two of them, disciples of Jesus, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. You can circle all these things. And while they were talking and discussing together, very important, Jesus, the resurrected one himself, drew near and went with them. This is one of the most beautiful passages in the Gospel of Luke. And it's a passage that kind of gets lost. We kind of know it has to do with Easter. We know it has to do with the resurrection. But it sometimes gets lost at the end of Luke's Gospel. But it's this moment where the resurrected Jesus steps into a walk, a journey, 
that two of his disciples are experiencing as they think about that the one that they loved has been killed, crucified, and is gone. And I know for many of us, it's hard to live in the story because we kind of know the ending. And we're like, you know, when is Jesus just going to tell him that he's alive? Let's move on. You know, that doesn't happen. And the Bible forces us not to rush too quickly, but to live in the pain of this moment. Of these disciples who've been with Jesus, they follow Jesus for three years at least, committed to following him, have given, have served, have told their families, and now he's dead in their context. He's been crucified and they're wondering, how did they miss the signs? Like we thought he was the one. And many of you know that this part of the story fits in a larger context called Holy Week. And Holy Week is, is a season where we follow Jesus all the way to the cross and the resurrection. You often hear the term Passion Week. Have any of you ever heard that term, Passion Week? It's important because the word passion there comes from a Latin word, which is passio. The Latin word passio means to suffer. And the word passion means to suffer with another. It doesn't just mean to be passionate. But actually, at the most passionate places, we suffer with others. We're with others. And I thought about what it would mean that Jesus enters this moment where his followers have these expectations of him and what he was going to do. And they've been shattered. And they're like, wow. You've probably done that. I've experienced that. We have these expectations of the things we thought God was going to do. Maybe our marriage, our work, where we would be in university at this point, where we would be in our finances, and things feel like they're unraveling. And this morning, I want to tell you that Jesus knows about those feelings. And in a minute, you're going to see how Jesus enters those spaces. But I also want to tell you about how we're feeling that in the context of a church. We're feeling that in the context of being a church in a secular space where we've lost kind of the fabric. And sometimes it's hard to be hopeful in a place where some people want nothing to do with Jesus and the church. Some of that's on us. People have experienced hurt through the church, pain through the church. They, they haven't felt the church to be a safe place where they could come and ask their questions. One of the stats that we have about Quebec, which is where I live and pastor, and this is what it says about the church context. It says Quebec boasted of 2,746 churches in 2003. But since then, 713 have been destroyed, closed, or converted. Obviously, we know that the church is not a building. But as these spaces get closed down, it's a reflection of people who've stopped connecting in community with one another. Wanting to be the church, wanting to be a visible lighthouse to people in those communities. And can I say again, Woodside, that you are doing what Pastor Chris has talked about and others have shared about helping us think differently about being in these spaces. To seeing the church be reborn, in a sense, a revival emerge as we think differently about the future of the church. Well, if we look at the passage, we see what Jesus does next as he enters this conversation. It says, their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in, who have happened there in these days? And he said to them, you should circle this, what things? Can you imagine how beautiful this is? That the resurrected Jesus is stepping into this conversation with these disciples who've lost hope and are discouraged and are wondering about how their lives, how they're going to go back home and tell their wives they were wrong, tell their kids we made a mistake, or like, oh, you don't even know about it. It was a mess in Jerusalem. Jesus enters that space and he asks them a question. 
he begins to ask them questions and he invites them to share about the pain that they're carrying. And if you're, you're taking notes, you might have your bulletin or your CEO notes. I want to talk about this, that every time Jesus enters the broken spaces of our life, he gives us space to doubt without leading to despair. This is so important. As we think about the future and especially as we think about the next generation, students and people who don't know Jesus, we're going to have to give people a whole lot of space for them to doubt, to ask questions and not see that as a sign of meaning despair or things are falling apart. But maybe that that's a normal part of their journey. I don't know if you thought about this, that Jesus asks them a question in this moment, a question that he knows the answer to. Have you ever wondered why? Jesus does with them what he's been doing his whole ministry. He's stepping into broken situations and asking people questions. The one who is the truth doesn't just come and tell people the truth. The one who is the truth steps in and lets people express their pain, their sadness, their brokenness before he says much. He says, tell me what's happened. Tell me what's gone on. Tell me about the brokenness. Share with me more about this sadness. And they're shocked. They're like, how do, you, how do you not know what has happened? How do you not know what's happened, you know, in Jerusalem? Like everybody knows. They killed Jesus. And we, we don't have all the details of everything they said. But some of you are in this room. And you need to know that there is space for you to talk about the things that you feel have led to you sensing hopelessness, discouragement, and sadness. We're going to have to create whole new spaces for people to be able to share about their doubts and their disappointments as things have been shattered and how they thought they would go. For some of you, maybe that's your marriage. At this point in your marriage, you thought you'd be closer, further along. For some of you, you're carrying the weight of maybe wanting to have children and still can't have children. And you're like, how, Jesus? How much do we have to pray? What do we need to do? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not even sure you believe in God anymore. What does it mean to be in a place where you can share those things and not be judged and not feel ashamed of someone telling you how you got it all wrong? Even Jesus doesn't do that. He steps in and says, I have a question. So what, what are these things that have been happening? I think of this story and I often think of a young woman that came into my office. Her name was Heather. She came to my office, young adult, had all these expectations about her life, her future, and things were falling apart. She sent me an email, and this is how she described the state of her life at the time. She said this, drugs and alcohol were my way of escaping, and I wasn't shy about using them on a regular basis. I hit rock bottom, and I was ashamed of the person I was pretending to be. That's what she says. I remember she walked into my office, and I could feel the despair. When she first came into my office and she sat down, I could sense she didn't even want to talk. She was nervous about whether if she said anything to me, I would judge her and grab a Bible and try to fix everything. And she was quiet. I remember saying to her, Heather, if you don't want to say anything, that's okay. Just being here is really courageous. I said, I could just pray. And time went on. We just chatted a little. And eight years ago, Heather sent me an email. And she said, Pastor Dom, I don't know if you remember me. My name is Heather and I came into your office and I shared with you some things about my life. The way my life was a mess. And, and you said some things to me that really helped me. And I was so excited. I'm like, did I say something really deep? Something really theological? Did I, did I explain the Trinity? That's always a good one, right? When you feel like, yeah, I'm amazing. She said, no, no. She said, all you said was God still loved me. She goes, and that broke something in me. It changed my life. 
I actually started to believe that God still loved me after all of the things that I said to you and all of the things I felt ashamed about. And she says, I want to let you know, this happened a few years ago. I want to let you know that next week I'm getting baptized. She was baptized. She got married. Her life got transformed. You see a picture of her being baptized. I was like, wow. How Jesus would use me and you in simple moments and simple times to just ask someone a question and listen. Just listen. And at the right time say, hey, I don't have all the answers for this, but could you believe with me just that Jesus still loves you and it's going to be okay? He can heal the most broken and messy things you've done. This is kind of how Jesus is entering the story of these disciples on the road to Emmaus. And at one point we're told something really important. I'm going to read it quickly. It says this, that they say to Jesus, we had hoped that he, Jesus, was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, this is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. And you go on and you can read it. They amazed us because they were at the tomb early in the morning. You might want to make a note of this. Maybe you caught the importance of this. That they've heard from the women that Jesus is not there and they still went back home. They've heard from the woman, from the women that things look, are very, very different. Like Jesus wasn't in the tomb. We're not sure. Like maybe he is alive. And they were too hurt and too discouraged to even stick around and see. They just walked back home. This is important for us because sometimes we can be amazed at something and that never transforms the people we're going to be. We live in a culture that's easy even to experience the flash, the, the goosebumps of worship. Oh, it felt exciting and then life hits you. And you realize amazing and cool and flashy are not enough if hope doesn't take root in our hearts. The world has a way that, that, that makes us doubt everything and wonder about things. And, and we feel this experience. And so this morning for some of you, maybe God's calling you to this deeper place. To this deeper place of not just even attending church or, or just giving a little bit to help. But to say, I need more than just hype. I need a life built on the living hope that only Jesus can give. That's what you need. And then Jesus does the most beautiful thing. He almost begins this post-resurrection walk of hope with a little Bible study. It says this. It's so beautiful. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory, Jesus says? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. Amazing. Amazing. Maybe this, maybe this might, you might miss this sometimes, but they're not walking around with Bibles, okay? They're not walking back and forth with Bibles the way we do or devices, right? They kind of feel the stories of Israel in their hearts. They know the stories. They've heard the stories. They've come from Passover. They're living in this story. And Jesus says, man, still slow to connect all the pieces. Let me just show you. Let me just remind you of the things that Moses said. And we're not sure all the details. I mean, this is every pastor's dream, right? To have all the details that Jesus does, says here. We'd have a curriculum right away, Pastor Chris. It'd be fast. Right? He just starts to connect the pieces. He starts to make room and say, let me just show you. Let me just connect this. Let me just help you understand. And it always encourages me to know that those who had Jesus, the greatest teacher, are still slow to see all the things coming together. If they were slow to see and they knew the stories, memorized the stories, how much more? How much more? Where we sometimes feel it's slow in understanding this. I'm struggling with how this fits together. 
I think about the Middle East and I think about Canada and I think about all these other countries. How does it all come together? And, and Jesus is like, just slowly explain. I'm going to show you the Spirit is still here with us, helping us understand how the pieces fit together. Now, for some of us, this can be so hard because we know the truth and we think it's really easy to just point people to Jesus or just buy a Bible. And if you have your notes, I, I put this little note in there to help. That we're going to have to help people revisit the scriptures with Jesus in mind. We're going to have to help people return to understanding the Bible with the perspective of how Jesus fits in that story. I think of so many young people that I talk to. Many of them who are not even against Christianity or concerned about faith, but they, they don't have a Bible. They don't know how to read the Bible. And I always love to use this kind of example to help you understand this. So just with me, think about this. If you've been a Christian for a while, how often do you get up in the morning and think, I got to spend some time reading the Quran? Anyone? How many of you would say, yeah, you know, I don't even have a Quran in my house. I should buy a Quran and start reading it and figure out what Muslim people believe. How many of you have done that? How many of you have that on your bucket list? Probably some of you are like, unless you're in a class or doing a Bible study, you're like, I don't really do that. Whatever you felt is what people in a secular society feel when you tell them you should, you should read the Bible. They're like, what? Buy a Bible? Where do we even get Bibles? Like, aren't they, is that an old book for people who lived a long time ago? The, the, the hurdle they have to take is the hurdle we would have to make to read the writings of another religion and think, oh, this applies to me. I can't wait to read this. This is so important. And I was talking to someone between the services, uh, university students, who said to me, this thing, when I talked about this idea about the Quran and the Bible, he said, that made so much sense to me. Because so many of my friends, they're not even sure how the Bible and other religious books are different or the same. We're going to need to slowly connect the pieces for people. We're going to have to do what Jesus is doing with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. As he walks with them, as he journeys with them. The research that we have on what is happening in a secular society is more complex than we ever thought. I know it's easy sometimes to think of a secular culture as a place that's anti-faith or anti-God or uh, against our religion. But some of the research has some other stuff to teach us as well. And you'll see it on a quote on the, on the screen. It says, the research shows that many youth and young adults haven't even been exposed to Christianity. The result is a religious landscape we have never seen before. I've often said this, that many people in a secular society don't care enough about us to even think about us. They don't even know where they would start fighting with us. I mean, they might disagree with something, but there's a whole new landscape. And this is research like from 10 years ago in Canada. So imagine the acceleration of people who might know some Christmas story or maybe watch a show, but they're going to need help. Those who are patient and listening and watching and asking questions and helping them maybe to connect some pieces of things in their life that were broken and Jesus led them to experience healing or some things in their life that were a mess and Jesus entered that and walked with them. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking of a child, a grandchild, a friend. I want to encourage you that Jesus is still doing what he did in this passage. That Jesus is still the one that enters the most messy places of our lives and helps even those with their doubts and their questions not experience despair. Because you know what we can say to them when they ask those questions? You know what we can say to them when we, they wonder about the Bible? We can say, that's a great question. We can say, I remember when I struggled with that. I remember when somebody helped me along. And what happens next in the story, remember, you're going to read all of Luke 24, right? We made a deal, pinky promise. Yeah, 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 got it, got it, all right. That Jesus and these disciples get to their home. They finally get to their home. 
And it's almost like they are going to go inside and, and Jesus is there. And, and the, the passage says that it's like Jesus is going to move on and just keep walking. And they say to him, hey, hey, why don't, why don't you just stick around? Like, where are you going? You need food. You should come in and sit with us. Just stay just a little bit longer. And it's a profound moment in the story. It's a moment where we realize that Jesus had this way of talking to people where when he was done, they wanted to hear more of him and not less. When people think of Christians, do they want to hear more of us or less of us? Don't raise your hand. Let's get spicy. But I had a brother see me right between the services with a confession. I didn't, I didn't even tell Pastor Chris this. But he came up to me and said, you know what? When I talk to people in my family who are not believers and I tell them about my faith, they don't want to hear from me. I'm like, Luke 24. That the one who was the way, the truth, and the life asked questions that he knew the answers to. That stepped into moments and came as a gentle one to say, let's, let's see this together. And yet we sometimes, because we've been Christians for a long time, we can enter these spaces and, and look for the people in our family who are not believers and we're going to tell them the word. We just tone it down and do what Jesus has always done. The resurrected Jesus. And Jesus, as they invite him to come in and have a meal, what does he do? He goes. He goes and sits with them. And the most profound moment in the stories, we're told, he was at the table with them. And he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Every time I read this passage, I want to like yell and cry and run around. That Jesus decides that the best time for them to really see who he is, is when he does with them what he did with them last around that last supper table. This is important because Jesus is not only there to teach them about how he fits the story of Israel. It's important that they know that the resurrected Jesus is also the one preparing his people for the story that comes after the cross and the resurrection. And it's at the table that this happens. The table is the place where we hold together the story of Israel and the story of the church. And he says to them, like he breaks bread, they hear the words and they realize it's him. And every time I read this, I think about, man, couldn't you have told them earlier they were sad? Couldn't we have rushed this because we, we have things to do? No, Jesus has his right time. That at the right time, he steps into those moments. And he invites us to be those who model this way of life for others. That they would be with us, that they would be at our table, maybe be at our home and just feel like when you're sharing about your life and how your life has been transformed, like I want to hear more. Like how did that happen? Can we commit to surrendering our broken expectations and be invited to see Jesus give us new expectations of what he wants to do? Can we be the kind of church that steps into moments where people are feeling hopeless and you know what? We just ask them a question. Tell me how this happened. Walk with me why you feel that things are falling apart. And we continue to be those who, who help people who are confused about the Bible and the teachings of Christianity and just say, hey, that's, that's great. We're, we're going we're gonna to walk through this together. It's fine. For some of you, that's like an easy first step. Some of you as parents, can I encourage you, if you have students who are tired, they're sleeping in till like tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like they're not, they're not even sure today is Sunday. When they, when they wake up, you know, just, just make room. Space. Remember, there was a time when you did not believe and Jesus found you. Jesus has a way of finding people where they are 
and using us to do what he has always done. You know what the disciples do after they have this meal? They do a 180. They turn around and they head back to Jerusalem. We don't know how late it is. We don't know how hungry they are. We don't know how tired they are. But they're like, oh my goodness, if Jesus is alive, we have to go back to Jerusalem. Like we have to go back and get ready because he's going to give us homework. Okay? I give you homework. This week, Luke 24. Read it again. Read it with an open heart and say, Jesus, we're going to need you to do some new things in our day. We know that you're the living hope. You are the resurrection. You laugh in the face of death and sin. And you're going to help us to create new space and think of new ways to find people in the most painful and hopeless situations. And maybe for you this morning, you're listening online, you're here, you maybe watch the baptisms and you're sensing something new. You're sensing maybe God saying to you that it's time to take that next step and say yes to the way of Jesus. And maybe you've rejected the story because you're like, I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to tell people what to believe. I don't want to be that. But Jesus wasn't that. Jesus wasn't that. Then maybe for you, this is the first step where you tell a friend or someone you came with to say, I want to explore the story more. Is there a book I can read with you? Or is there something I can listen to? Or maybe go through a teaching series together. But can I encourage you that Jesus is still doing the thing that he's always done, which is find people in their brokenness, ask them questions to remind them they're not alone walking them through the story and how it fits together. And then reminding them that there's a power in the cross and the resurrection that is still available to them to be the church. Can we do that together, church?